0: Amen. Well, if you have a copy of God's word, take it and turn with me this morning to Psalm 128. Psalm 128, I know we have a lot of visitors today. It is our normal habit to preach through books of the Bible or sections of the Bible. Uh, We are absolutely convinced that the word of God has life and everything we need is found here. I have nothing good to say to you apart from what we find right here in the word of God. So this is our book right here. And we are walking through the Psalms of ascents. It's Psalm 120 through 134. They are the songs that the people of God sang in the Old Testament on their journey from their homes up to Jerusalem to worship. As they were moving into the presence of God, they would sing these songs. And they were a bit of a kind of a geographical spiritual guide for them. For us as New Testament believers, they really have become maybe the best guide we have on just how to trust and follow Jesus every day. It's incredible. Uh, We often don't see them this way. But starting in Psalm 120... When the psalmist realizes that he's believed a lie and he's ready to give his life to the Lord, from that moment on he makes a decision and every step along the way he begins to follow the Lord. And that's the guide that we get from these songs. They're very, very helpful and encouraging to us. You know, the truth is, for most of us, our journey with Jesus begins the moment we realize that we've been duped. The moment we realize that we were sold a bill of lies. That we were told something... We believed it. We wake up one day and realize that we were deceived, that all of the things that were promised to us were not fulfilled. We wake up realizing that all of the promises of joy and life and goodness really only brought shame and misery and fear. And that's because Satan at his very core is a liar. That's his primary weapon. This is why it's so important, again, for us to be committed to this book, week in and week out to preach this book, to give it to our students, to give it to our children, to give it to our college students. We're all about this book because even as believers, we have to be trained to discern what is true and what is a lie. Because as John eight forty four tells us, Satan is the father of lies and there is no truth in him. He is the accuser of the brethren, which means even after we come to know the Lord, he's still feeding us lies. This is what he does. From the very beginning, that's been his weapon, lies. And so we are trained to discern the truth, to believe the truth, to reject the lies, and to then walk in that truth. The primary lie of Satan, the lie that he has been using from the very beginning, the lie that he is still using, the lie that he uses almost right as we make a decision for Jesus or even right after we make a decision for Jesus is the lie that, if we come to Jesus, we're going to miss out on the good stuff. That we're going to miss out on, on the fun stuff. That everybody's having fun, but us. That Christianity is all rules and, and do's and, and don'ts. And it's confining and, and miserable and joyless and, and lifeless. And the enemy just constantly whispers this in our ear, that there's something better. And, and if you choose to follow Jesus, you're going to miss out and everybody has it good. But, but, Let me tell you something. It's the oldest lie of the devil. It's the oldest lie. It's the first lie. And it's just a consistent lie. And it happens all of the time. And he says it to us in all different ways. The enemy is very smart. He knows what he's doing. He preys on our weaknesses and insecurities. But in some way, he tells us the lie that there's just something better than Jesus. And we're missing out on something if we follow Jesus. But it's just the opposite of the truth. Eugene Peterson says it this way. Listen to this. He says, there's a general assumption prevalent in the world that it's extremely difficult to be a Christian. But this is as far from the truth as the East is from the West. The easiest thing in the world is to be a Christian. What's hard is to be a sinner. Being a Christian is what we were created for. The life of faith has the support of an entire creation and the resources of a magnificent redemption. The structure of this world was created by God so that we can live in it easily and happily as his children. The history we walk in has been repeatedly entered by God, most notably in Jesus Christ. First to show us and then to help us live a life full of faith and exuberant with purpose. In the course of Christian discipleship, we discover that without Christ, we are doing it the hard way and that with Christ, we are doing it the easy way. It is not Christians who have it hard, but non-Christians. Now, certainly we talk about the cost of following Jesus, and it does have a cost, but the reality is it's just hard to be a human. (laughs) It's hard to live in a broken world. It's hard to deal with all of our dysfunction and the dysfunction of everyone else. It's hard to be a human. But as Eugene Peterson says, we were created for life with God. And every time we choose life with God, we choose the life that God has created us for. When we reject God, we go against all sound wisdom and just bring more pain and suffering upon our lives. The truth is, following Jesus is life at its best. Not just having some nod to Jesus from when you were a child, not just giving Jesus a little bit of time once a month and coming to church, but life with Jesus, daily life with Jesus, knowing him, loving him, pursuing him. Listen, that is life at its best. And that's the point of Psalm 128. If you're there at Psalm 128, say amen. Listen to these words. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord. Be upon Israel. Now, if you're honest about life, which is a big value to us here at Prince, we think it's important to be honest about life and the challenge of life, you might initially have trouble with Psalm 128. And the reason is because life to you may not feel as good as Psalm 128 sounds like it should. Psalm 128 seems to paint this picture of all of this blessing and goodness. And you might say, well, that's not really my experience. Psalm 128 is what's called a wisdom psalm, meaning it feels a little bit more like the Proverbs than it does like the Psalms. There's a number of Psalms like this. And what Psalm 128 is doing is this. It's saying that for everyone, all of life, you only have two paths to take. There's the path of following the Lord and there's the path of everything else. And although we live in a broken world and things are hard and we're broken and those around us are broken, even though we still feel a lot of the pain of the brokenness of consequences of our sin and other sin, the reality of life is still this. Everyone who chooses the way of the Lord chooses to walk toward greater blessing. And everyone who chooses to reject the Lord chooses the pathway of greater brokenness. This is what it's saying, that there are only two pathways to take, and you are either walking towards an increased brokenness with greater shame and pain and guilt and suffering, or toward the way of wisdom in which there is the blessing of God. The way in which the psalmist teaches us this is by giving us both a promise and a prayer. That's the way the psalm is divided up. Verses 1 through 4 are a promise. Verses 5 through 6 are a prayer. Let's see how these work together. The first promise is really summarized in verses one and four. The same thing is said twice. It says in verse one, Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord. Then it gives all these specific blessings, which we'll look at in a minute, and then kind of summarizes it in verse four by saying, Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. This is an emphatic statement, it is a statement of truth, of fact. The word blessed there is a key word in the Bible. It's one of the most important words for us to understand. You might remember that this is the way the, word, the, the book of Psalms begins. Blessed is the man. So in the very beginning, uh, the Psalms open up with a statement of you're going to learn from this book what it's like to have the blessing of God upon your life. And so again, he's using this word that's used three, four times actually here in Psalm 128. It is a word that means kind of a state of well-being or contentment. It means to be fully satisfied or have a soul that is at rest, to sense as if you're lacking nothing. Now, some would say that the word blessed means to be happy. It does, but in a secondary sense. Because the happiness is rooted in a fact that your soul is at rest. You feel as if you are right with God. You feel contented and satisfied and so all of the angst that constantly makes you need something more and want something more and buy something more and go for something more. Listen, when that is gone, what takes its place is a restful happiness. In the fall and the spring during the school year, we have a wonderful uh, curriculum for children and one of the things we do, it's all on Wednesday nights uh, combined with Sunday morning, but we teach our kids virtues. One of the virtues we teach them is the virtue of contentment. And here's the definition. Contentment is believing that I have everything I need for my present happiness. That's good, isn't it? Contentment is I have everything I need for my present happiness. So if I believe I have everything I need to be happy, that I don't need anything else, that something else is not going to make me happy, well, the result is a contented heart. The blessing here is the blessing of being right with God, thinking rightly about God, having such a contented and satisfied heart that the result is I just feel contented and and happy in the Lord because I have everything that I need. Now, what Psalm 128 says is that feeling is for everyone. Look, everyone can have that feeling. Every man, woman, boy, and girl. Everyone in this room can live with that satisfied, contented soul if you fear the Lord. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord. Thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. Fearing the Lord seems to be a really confusing phrase But it's very important for us. Our mission here at Prince is leading people to trust and follow Jesus. Here's what we mean. We want to lead every single person to an initial moment in which they see that there's nothing better than Jesus Christ. They're trusting Jesus and his death on the cross as the payment for their sins. They're believing that Jesus rose to give us new life. And so they're making a decision to trust and follow Jesus. But our mission as a church is to make sure that everyone who does that keeps doing that every day. We want to lead you to keep trusting and following Jesus. So every time I preach, my motive is to get you to keep trusting and keep following Jesus every day. The fear of the Lord is the Old Testament way of saying trust and follow Jesus. That's what it is. And so in Proverbs chapter 1, the father is about to tell the son about the way of wisdom And he says, before you know all the practical aspects of following wisdom, he says this, the beginning of wisdom, the gateway to wisdom, the gateway of blessing is the fear of the Lord. So the father tells the son, the book of Proverbs and all of that wisdom doesn't matter for you unless you first make a decision to trust and follow the Lord. The beginning of our life is the moment in which we trust and follow Jesus, But really, trusting and following is the effect, in a sense, of fearing the Lord. Fearing the Lord is really more of an inner disposition in which I see God correctly. I think the best way to define the fear of the Lord is maybe the word awe. To be in awe of something. I'll go back a a few weeks to my illustration on being at the Grand Canyon with my five children. And there was two feelings that were coming over me every day. One was being in awe of the beauty and the glory and the majesty of what I was seeing and then being terrified that one of my children was going to fall off, okay? So both of those at the same time. What I would say is this, both of those were good, right, and healthy things to think. I, I, I I, I can't go without seeing the majesty and the glory and the beauty that is there, but yet at the same time, it is a right and healthy thing to be afraid of what is there. That's exactly how we should feel about God. God is beautiful and God is dangerous. God is beautiful in that everything that we see in the beauty of creation, everything that we see in the beauty of those we love is just a small reflection of the beauty of God himself. Everything beautiful comes from God and all of the grace and the love, the mercy, the kindness of God makes him beautiful. God is absolutely beautiful in every way. Magnificent, glorious, Awe-inspiring, that's who God is. And the more we know him, the more we come to see that. But God is dangerous. We don't trifle with God. We don't pr- take prayer lightly. We don't think lightly about God. We don't just disregard God a- a- as if he means nothing Because without Jesus, God is dangerous because there is a wrath to God and a punishment for sin. Now, the glorious news of the gospel is that Jesus came to take upon himself the wrath that we deserve. So we just get the beauty of God. But we stand in front of a God and we realize, although he is beautiful, there is a danger to God. We take him seriously, church. There's a sense of awe. And what the fear of the Lord is, is seeing God properly. I look at him and I say, This is overwhelmingly glorious and beautiful and this is everything I want in life. Summarized right here. God is everything I want. But I am aware of the seriousness of God and I'm not afraid of him because of Jesus. Jesus has made me right with God and so I know that I am welcomed in his presence. I don't have to be scared of God but I do live with a genuine awareness of his greatness and glory and holiness so I don't trifle with him. Now, if that's how I view God, My response to that is gonna be say, God, I wanna trust you and follow you. I want the wrath removed through Jesus Christ and I want to see you correctly and I wanna give myself to you. I want more of this. That's the fear of the Lord. And so here's what verse one and verse four is saying. Those who see God with the seriousness in which we should and respond by saying, God, I love you and and I want to know you and I want more of you in my life and I trust Jesus Christ and I give myself surrendering to you. Those who do that, it says this, everyone who does that are choosing to be on the pathway of blessing. And the only other pathway is the pathway of brokenness. So he says the blessing, the pathway of blessing is reserved for everyone who fears the Lord. The blessed life, the good life is seen in responding correctly to God. Then he says in verse 2 and 3 that that blessing extends to two areas of life. Look at it. The first one in verse 2 is that blessing extends to your work. You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed and it shall be well with you. Now, I'm not going to repreach last week's sermon. If you want to go back and listen to it, uh, you can. But the commentary on Psalm 128, verse 2 is Psalm 127. Because what we learn from Psalm 127 is that all of our work, no matter how much we work, is all in vain unless the Lord is working with us. Unless we abide in Christ, we partner together with him, we work and we wait, we trust the Lord to do what we can't, unless that is our disposition, all of our work is meaningless, it's empty. Now what this is saying in Psalm 128 is this, the one who fears the Lord and walks with God, the one who obeys his ways, God blesses his work. His work produces something. His work means something. His work has some value. It's not vain. It's valuable, the one who works and works while walking with the Lord. God blesses the work. But verse three says that God also blesses the family. Look at that. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Now, you don't have to have a wife for this to apply. You don't have to have children for this to apply. The basic principle here is this, and it's an amazing one. That if you'll walk the way of the Lord and you will choose daily to choose the way of blessing, then what happens is this, not only do you receive the blessing of the Lord, but that blessing then extends to those around you. Those around you will experience the blessing of the Lord that comes from you. They will be productive and and vibrant in their life. This is absolutely an amazing thought. It is the vision of John 7 where Jesus says, if anyone's thirsty, let him come to me and drink. And out of him will flow rivers of living water. This means that as you drink from the Lord, as you know him, that doesn't just affect your soul. Listen to me. Everyone around you is affected by your relationship with Jesus Christ. And those who walk with Jesus, that blessing cannot be held in. That blessing blesses others. I say this all the time, but it's my number one parenting principle. I have five kids and I only have a few of these. But my number one principle is this. There is nothing that matters more in the life of your kids than your own personal walk with Jesus Christ. And I don't care what else you give them. I don't care where you send them. I don't care what camps you send them to, what schools you send them to, what sports you allow them to participate in, what vacations you take them on. There's nothing matters more than your personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And you can't fake it. And the promise here is a glorious one. If you will seek the Lord and walk with the Lord in some supernatural way, that blessing extends to those that you love. That is such an incredible and encouraging promise. That as a parent or with anyone that, is, that I have responsibility for, even in the workplace, that my first and primary responsibility is to walk with the Lord. And from the inside out, others are blessed. And it says that we are called to stop ignoring God. We fear him, we see him, and we respond to him. We choose the way of blessing. And behold, thus, blessed in his work and blessed in his family shall be the one who fears the Lord, verse four. But then he transitions to a prayer, and it makes sense. He says, the Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. What he's essentially saying there with a lot of poetic language is that may you experience the very presence of God from Zion. May you know God. And so comparing it to verses one through four, listen, here's what it's saying. Those who choose the way of God choose the way of blessing and God does bless them and there's something real about their life and God blesses those around them and then there's almost like a pause. So God, may all of these people know the blessing of God. May they choose the way of righteousness and holiness. This is a great prayer for our children. I believe that this is true. I believe that those who walk away from God experience more shame and more pain and more brokenness and more dysfunction. But those who walk the way of the Lord experience more of the blessing of God. So God, may all those I love choose the way of blessing. That's verses five and six. Like just this longing of the heart that everyone would experience the blessing of God. It is my prayer for you. It's my prayer for my wife and my children. God, if this is true, if this is the way life works, may everyone choose that. And that's the prayer at the end of Psalm 128. And listen, you know that what I'm saying is true. Even if you're far from God, you know that walking away from God and ignoring him just leads to greater pain and greater shame and greater brokenness. You know this. You know, I, I've wondered at what point in my life do I need to tell my children all the ways in which I messed up and all the problems it caused. At this point, I am at never. But at some point, <laughs> I just, I want them to know that, that even the dumb mistakes that I made as I was a kid, you can be 47 years old and still have the consequences of those mistakes. And just the little things, the little decisions to walk away from the Lord, to ignore the voice of the Lord, every one of those stays with you. Because what happens is every time you walk away from the Lord, you walk into greater brokenness. But if you choose the way of the Lord, then you're walking into greater blessing of the Lord. And so verses one through four is all of those who choose the way of the Lord, choose the way of blessing. And so may all of you. Verses five and six, trust and follow and enjoy the blessing of life with Jesus. Now here's where we need to be honest. I think it would be easy at this moment to just go, amen, that's great, let's go home. And that may be what you want, but I've got like a few more minutes with you. How does that actually work in a broken world? Like, how does how does that work? Is that true? Well, it is. Let me explain the way it works. The lie that Adam and Eve believed was the same old lie. God's holding out on you. God's holding out. There's something better. There's something so much better if you would just choose to disobey that one command. God, I know God's given you everything, but not everything. There's something more, and they believed the lie. Now listen, before they believed the lie, every blessing of God was theirs. They walked in a right relationship with God. Relationally, they were great together. Everything was good. Everything was right. Everything was the way it should be. And the moment they chose sin, everything was broken. Everything fell apart. And it takes us about 30 seconds of Bible reading to realize that everything in their life all of a sudden became disastrous. Relationships were everything was disastrous. Because the moment in which they chose to walk away from the Lord is the moment that they chose the pathway of brokenness. And the result was that they were empty. They had pain and shame and regret and hatred and bitterness and violence. All of that, the moment they believed the lie. This was not the way God intended it. God wants us to know him and to live with his blessing. And so what does God do with Adam and Eve? He immediately goes after them. Adam and Eve don't take the first step. They're hiding ashamed. God comes after them. Adam, where are you? Eve, where are you? And in their shame, God kills an animal. He takes cloth and he clothes their shame through the sacrifice of an animal. And he says, listen, I know that everything in the world is broken. And the reality is the rest of life is going to be like this. But I want to offer you the opportunity to take once again the path of blessing. And he comes and he invites them to himself and he makes a way for them to come back to him. And then Jesus shows up and he says in John 10, 10, the thief has come to kill and steal and destroy. But I came that you might have life abundantly because Jesus has seen it from the beginning. He always sees it. He breaks his heart to see the way in which we believe the lie. And he knows that all the enemy wants to do is to kill you and destroy everything good in your life. And Jesus says, I've come to give you life. I've come to take upon myself through the cross, all of the pain and all of the shame and all of the suffering and invite you to follow me where I begin to put your broken life back together and you walk the way of blessing. So the way that works is that when you choose Jesus in this moment for the first time and every single day, you're choosing the way of blessing. But when you reject Jesus every day, whenever you do that, you're choosing more brokenness. And someday when Christ returns, listen, Satan will be bound and all of the curse will be gone and we will experience the fullness of the blessing of Psalm 128. But until that moment, we still experience brokenness in this world and pain and heartache and sadness from the mistakes that we've made and the mistakes of others. But yet, even in that, by the grace of God, he invites us step by step to either move towards blessing or to move towards brokenness. And although we do not experience the fullness of all of that until Christ returns, I have a choice to make every single day in which way I will move. So what does that have to do with Psalm 128? Well, everything. Because the two main areas affected by the fall were work and relationships. And what Psalm 128 says is this. I know your relationships are suffering. I know there's brokenness. But if you will choose the way of Jesus, I will begin to take broken things and put them back together. Step by step, Moment by moment. And so what do we do? We just choose Jesus. You choose him today. If it's for the very first time, you choose Jesus. You stop running from Jesus. You stop running from the blessings that God has for you. And you choose him every single day. Because the more you walk toward him, the more he brings healing. The more you walk away, the more everything in your life becomes broken. We choose Jesus because we believe what even Eugene Peterson says. That it is not Christians who have it hard, but non-Christians. Because why would I choose greater brokenness when God is offering greater blessing? So we simply, every day, choose Jesus. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes.